Hey everyone, this is Anthony Grant, and I want to introduce you all to this podcast. It's called Superstar PR, and it's all about entertainment insider chats with Nikki, the founder of the PR agency, Nikki Inc. This podcast chats with some serious entertainers and media insiders, always choosing people who are making a difference in the entertainment world and who have cool stories to share. Happy listening. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Superstar PR Season 3. This is Nikki Papayuenu. I am the host of this podcast. I'm so humbled to have you all here. I'm also the owner of a boutique PR firm in Toronto called Nikki Inc. And I'm so excited to have this guest today because, you know, I handpicked these guests and you're all giving me great feedback about who I'm interviewing. So today's guest is the host and producer of Ottawa Experts, a weekly live TV talk show on Rogers TV. She's a writer, editor, TEDx host, and communications strategist with 20 years of storytelling experience. She's visited 45 countries and speaks five languages. Her work is featured regularly on BBC World News, The Globe and Mail, Elle Magazine, My Favorite, and every major Canadian newspaper in Canada, and among others, because this woman's busy. Some other career highlights include interpreting from Mikhail Gorbachev's entourage, writing for The Economist Group, and hosting the most highly rated TEDx event in Denmark, and her name was Barbara Balfour. Barbara, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you so much, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I love your career. I'm like fanning you right now. I'm like clapping for you. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I have some, I have listeners who are up and coming actors. I have writers and I always try to inspire people. So, I mean, I think you have a really interesting career. Can you Can you share with our listeners how you got here? Absolutely. Um, Well, I'll start by telling you a little bit about how it all began. So the funny thing is, is when people hear my name, I think they expect a 60-year-old British lady to show up. But my parents are actually political refugees from the former Soviet Union, and I'm a first-generation Canadian. And the reason that this is important is because you know, it's normal when people immigrate here, they want their kids to be more financially stable than they were. And it's usually that holy trinity of engineer, doctor, and lawyer that is perceived to offer the most financial security. And, you know, journalist, writer, any sort of creative profession, I think any immigrant parent is going to worry a little bit about that. And so um, my whole life, I was really oriented more towards the humanities, towards libraries and bookstores. I loved reading. I loved to write. And, you know, part of the reason for that is because um, growing up in an immigrant family, we didn't have a lot of money in things like music and sports and dance. They cost money, but going to the library, Library was free and I, I started reading really early on and developing this fascination for literature and various authors and of course when you read a lot you start thinking well I would like to write something like this as well and so so my love for the craft really began early um, and I just I, I started writing for the youth pages of my local newspaper the Calgary Herald um, as a teenager in high school and I discovered that I really had a knack at it and that I really enjoyed it and I began my career as a journalist in its daily newsroom um, about 20 years ago now 
the Calgary Herald was at the time the city's largest daily newspaper and it's also part of the national post media chain and uh, I was mostly a general beat reporter so what that meant is that I could be covering a sudden death one day a nudist colony the next day and a rock concert the day after that just basically throwing anything at you and it's sort of a kind of go with the flow, hit the ground running kind of atmosphere. And it was a really fantastic training ground for so many different skills, all of which have proved to be fully transferable to other areas of my life. Now, I'll, I'll preface that with saying that, you know, back then when I started my career in 2000, there were no smartphones and the internet was only available on two computers in the library, which was one corner in the back of the newsroom. So, get this, you had to actually walk to the internet if you wanted to use it. And so we gathered information through knocking on doors and talking to people and gaining their trust through sheer dogged persistence. I think being a reporter this early on in my writing career provided me with a tremendous assertiveness training platform as a young woman. I learned to navigate many different situations, some of them more harrowing than others. I also learned how to interview people of all walks of life and to get them to open up and to trust me with the most intimate details of their lives and how to write a compelling story without betraying their trust. And I think, you know, even more importantly, I, I learned about compassion, empathy, and hope, even in an industry where we're often faced with the ugliest side of humanity on a daily basis. And I also learned how to crank out three stories a day, which back then was the expectation of all reporters in the newsroom. But I hear from my colleagues now that nowadays with the internet, it can be up to six or seven stories a day. Mind you, those are not stories that are written from scratch. They might be updating something, but that's still a, a large number of projects to be working on simultaneously within a eight or 10 hour shift. Um, I would have to say that after having worked as a journalist for the past 20 years, multitasking and working on tight deadlines is second nature to me. And I find that people I have just met often open up and tell me things that they've told no one else. And I, I like to believe it's probably because they feel very comfortable with me. But I'm still startled by people's sudden desire to confess everything around me. Like I said before, the, the good news, despite the turmoil in the journalism industry in, in all aspects, is the skills that we develop on the job are entirely transferable and incredibly valuable. You develop a razor-sharp sense of intuition, which you know some folks refer to as emotional intelligence. I can usually tell right away if someone's telling me the truth or not, and I can sense when someone's willing to talk and when to ask the right questions and when to back off. There's a, a quote by the famous Canadian children's book author, Robert Munch, that I really love. He was asked, how do you become a writer? And he replied, well, you don't become a writer, you just are. And that really resonated with me. And in the same way, I believe no matter where I get my paychecks from at the end of the day, I will always be a journalist. I always get surprised when I hear people describe themselves as, I'm a former journalist, I used to be a journalist. I think you never stop being a journalist. You will always have those skills. I know that I always carry that critical thinking lens through which I see the world, always asking more questions, digging deeper, listening to a range of opinions. 
Um, and all those skills that I learned as a writer and an interviewer have really stood me in good stead as a TV host and producer, which I've been doing for the past five years. And I really see TV as just another medium of storytelling. Um, my show, Ottawa Experts, is a one-hour in-studio show that features experts on evergreen topics that are of interest to a wide audience. And so everything from relationships, money, health, careers, and stages of life from marriage and parenting to retirement and end-of-life planning, those are all on the table. And some of our most popular programs have been on topics like how to make friends as an adult, how to have a successful multicultural relationship, and how to start over when you've hit rock bottom. The nice thing about having a one-hour show is that it really gives you the luxury to delve deeply into a topic and explore all the little hidden angles and subtopics. You can really do justice to a story in this format. And it's also interactive because viewers can call in to ask questions. And I really believe that it's that analysis and commentary, it's that ability to get engaged and feel part of a community. That's what people are looking for nowadays, not just headlines and breaking news, because you know you can just scroll on your phone and, and find out what's going on in a nutshell for free. But stories that really shine a light on what's going on behind the scenes, sort of new and diverse viewpoints and stories, those are the things that give people pause, that they're interested in spending their time, money, and energy on. Well, I think that you are someone that I would probably want to interview anybody I know because of just the way you perceive the world and the questions you ask. And I want to, I know you've told me once before off record about a really cool story you did, but maybe you could tell our listeners like one of the stories that you hold as, as one of your best. You know, it's, it's, it's really difficult to pick just one. It's kind of like asking someone uh, who their favorite child is, right? But um, one, uh, one story that I came across when I was working as a foreign correspondent in Japan a few years ago, I came across um, this anecdote that when the Japanese mend broken objects, they highlight the damage by filling in the cracks with gold. And that's because they believe that when something has suffered damage and has a history, it becomes more beautiful. And that has really, really, really resonated with me. I have tremendous respect. I have tremendous respect for people who have overcome adversity and sometimes horrific life circumstances to find success. And of course, appreciating that success comes in many forms and means different things to different people. But um, I really love and respect people with stories like these. And so through my work, both on TV and uh, working in print, I've met some incredibly inspirational human beings who have flourished in their community. Um, and I'm just thinking, you know, most recently, some of the guests that I've had uh, on my show, um, one of them that really still sticks in my mind um, is Frank O'Day. He was the founder of uh, Second Cup. He's in his 70s now, but he, he was a former alcoholic. He was homeless, living on the streets. He was sexually abused by a priest as a child. And in those days, you didn't talk about it. And you especially didn't talk about it if you were male. And so that led him to 
uh, that led him to his life on the streets. And then after a while, a series of fortuitous encounters led him to go to um, AA meetings and turn his life around. And so he's the co-founder of the Second Cup Coffee Chain. He is involved in a number of very successful businesses in Ottawa, and he just radiates positive energy and optimism. Like you just love being around him and it's so inspiring. I had another guest on my show, Kevin Frost. He's a deaf blind speed skater. He was born um, with a small percentage of his sight and his hearing and now it's almost nil. Um, and he's broken records by able-bodied athletes. And again, the optimism, those rose-colored glasses through which they view the world is so incredibly inspiring. I mean, next time you think you're having a bad day, right? Um, and then, of course, uh, I had Sheila Copps on my show who's really paved the way for women in politics and really went through a lot of stuff that no woman should have to put up with. Um, and so it's, it's those kinds of people that it's just it, on a personal level, it's such a pleasure to be in their presence and to learn from them. But it also gives me great satisfaction as a journalist to be able to share their stories with the world and hope that someone out there um, gets inspired and feels like they are also capable of great things, no matter what circumstances they may find themselves in. You know, um, I, I think all of this is so well said, Barbara. And a question I asked myself when I was 12 years old, and I remember looking at a playground at some kids who seemed to have it all, and I didn't come from a family with a lot of money. I just asked myself, whatever it is in my mind, why not me? Why can't I not have whatever I think I want? And, you know, I think that that led to a life of just always saying yes and trying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the people you've interviewed sound like such interesting characters because they, they all seem to have resilience in common. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess now I want to ask you, and this is like a funny question, but I, I think everybody has that person they'd want to interview dead or alive. If you could interview anybody, who would it be? I mean, there's, there's so many people that I find interesting. Um, can I, can I, uh, can I have more than one? Yeah, let's get like two, three. Okay. Um, as someone who is an interviewer on live television, I, I really enjoy watching other people's interview styles. And of course, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Oprah Winfrey, um, in part because she's an amazing journalist, but an even bigger part because she's overcome so much adversity. And I would love, I would love to have, you know, I'd love to share a cocktail with Oprah Winfrey on a terrace somewhere and, and, and talk about our life stories. Um, I really appreciate the easy banter that Jimmy Kimmel has on his show. I really enjoy watching how he sets his guests at ease and kind of shows them through body language and through nonverbal cues that, hey, you know, we're on the same side, you know, relax. Because I can, I can certainly relate to that as an interviewer that um, when I pre-interview someone for the show, they could be the most articulate and well-spoken person in the world. But when they walk into that studio and they're in front of all those cameras, I mean, it's pretty natural if you're not used to it to freeze. And so it's really important those first few seconds or minutes to kind of set them at ease. And I, I really appreciate what Jimmy Kimmel does and I like his style. I'd love to, to chat with him sort of from a professional perspective. Um, you know, I, uh, I would love to have had a chat with Marilyn Monroe and uh, I'm also really intrigued by sort of the behind the scenes of a leader that is as feared um, as Vladimir Putin. Like I would love to, uh, I would love to kind of delve more deeply into you know, what's really going on in his mind. 
Oh my God. Uh, yes, yes. And yes. Do you know, everybody says Oprah to me, everybody, like if I play back yeah. all my interviews, Oprah comes up 70% of the time. Mm-hmm. No one has ever said Vladimir Putin, but I'm, I'm equally fascinated by minds that are nothing like my own mm-hmm. uh, with kind of the perception of power and, yes. you know, how people treat power to me is an interesting thing. Absolutely. Uh, and so I guess now, because you've done some really cool things, um, I want to ask you if I could wave a magic wand and help you accomplish anything, or really you just do it on your own, but something that you're going to accomplish in this life, like definitively, what is it that you haven't done yet? A couple of things. Um, you know, I love being the host and producer of Ottawa Experts, but I would love to, I would love to have a, uh, a national show with an even larger audience. I would love to be on a, on a national talk show. Um, that's sort of the, uh, the, big, the big goal for me. Um, and a lot of people have told me for a long time, you know, why don't you write a book? Why don't you write a book? <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's difficult because I'm, I'm writing so much, you know, sort of for a living and in my everyday life that the idea of sitting down and writing um, sort of a, a labor of love, like purely for pleasure, like a novel or something like that, it's, it's difficult to wrap my mind around, but it's, it's definitely on my bucket list. Like I know I have a great imaginative story to tell deep inside of me that, you know, might, might be partially informed by some of the crazy stories that I've come across in my life. You know, they say truth is stranger than fiction and they're absolutely right. Whoever said that you can't come up with some of the things that I've seen and heard in, in my lifetime that are, that are true. Uh, Yeah. I would say those two things, you know, writing a novel and uh, having a national talk show. You know, um, I think I could definitely see you doing both and a national talk show. I mean, I think you're somebody important to highlight because you have an inquisitive mind. You're a strong, powerful woman. And in, in part of what I do at Nikki Inc is like, just put a spotlight on people like you. And that's my contribution. Seeing you kind of on a national stage would be amazing. So if I can help you with that, anyhow, I will. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the work that you do, Nikki. And I really love your podcast. Ah, thank you. Thank you. I, <laughs> I, my, my team jokes that like suddenly I'm like a wannabe journalist, but I think I'm just a curious person and I love the story of humans. And I think that I'm really honored to be listening to the things people have done because that's how I grow. You know, I mean, I think um, storytelling and journalism, I mean, those are professions that are truly democratic. You know, that's why I fell into journalism because, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of money, but it was something that was open to me, you know, going to the library or writing and interviewing, like it doesn't cost you anything. And um, I'm a big believer in, in democratic democratizing uh, storytelling, you know, even topics that are really complex, business, finance, science, you know, there's no topic that you can't distill into simple forms for a layman audience to understand. I I tell my, uh, my sources when we're sitting down to talk about something really complicated, I sit down with them and I say, explain it to me like I'm five. There's nothing, there's nothing in this world that you can't explain uh, like you, the person who's listening to you is five. The, the catch is that you have to understand it really well to be able to do that. You know what? It's crazy you just said that, Barbara, because I, I interviewed um, Patty Lovetree from CTV, their financial expert, and I said to her, Patty, I was al- I'm always really confused by some of the things my banker says, and she says, dear, that's because they don't know what they're talking about, because if they could explain it really well, that means they know it really well. Exactly. So it's, you. it's someone not explaining what they really know to you. <laughs> 
And that's the thing about communication. You know, I get frustrated when I hear people say something like, oh, so-and-so is a really bad student. I don't believe that there is such a thing as a bad student, only a bad teacher. And in that same vein, you know, when you, when you transfer that analogy to the communications world, I think people really lose sight of the needs of their end audience and of the need to tailor the message so that their audience appreciates it and listens and relates to it. You know, they, they don't take enough responsibility for that, I find, sometimes. Yes, you know, um, that's a really good point you make. So I'm, I'm always looking at analytics of who's listening to Superstar PR because I want to make sure the content is what they want. And it's, you know, global now. I'm just, I'm seeing, I'm so fascinated by this whole podcast world because people on different time zones are listening. So I think they are all listening to these amazing guests I have. And they want to know these guests like you. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to know that the world is listening to podcasts, but you know, you've mentioned some words like intuition, emotional intelligence, empathy, you know, that you're a critical thinker as an author, but are there words you live by? Or is there a quote you live by that you could share with our audience? Something you kind of repeat to yourself before a big story? I, there's no, there's no quote that I can think of. I mean, I mean, really, you know, my, my entire life, I find, you know, especially at the beginning, I find has been kind of an exercise in resilience. And um, earlier you mentioned, you, you, you mentioned a, a memory from when you were 12 and looking around and thinking, you know, why do all these people have all these things and I'm not one of them? You know, and, and the danger of, of, of that mentality is that when you grow up, you start repeating those self-limiting beliefs to yourself and you start saying, you know, well, <clears throat> this is not for me. This is for, you know, the chosen ones, right? On the other side, you know, and, you know, when you mentioned that you were 12, when you were kind of uh, going through this, I was around the same age. And I'll tell you a funny story um, of, of what it meant to be, an immigrant or the daughter of immigrants growing up in Canada. So um, my, my mom would receive care packages for my grandparents in the Soviet Union. And my mother relied on those packages to make ends meet. And I was around 10 when I first realized those care packages might be doing me more harm than good. So uh, these boxes would come delivered by Canada Post and they were filled with clothing for which my grandparents would stand in line for hours in Moscow. And my mom would open the box and she'd pull out something like a thick wool skirt. And my mother would exclaim over it in great satisfaction. This is made in East Germany. It is excellent quality. And so I'd put that skirt on and go to school. And then inevitably I'd be surrounded by this gaggle of sickly sweet, passive aggressive preteen girls at recess, you know, in that way that only preteen girls can be very cruel. And they would all sort of, yeah, they would all sort of chuckle and they would nudge each other and they would say, where did you get that skirt? And I was so innocent and I would say, well, it's from East Germany. It's really good quality. And they would just have a field day at my answers. And so you know, I was around, you know, 10, 11, 12, Nikki, when I became the inadvertent poster girl for Soviet fashion. <laughs> but all I really wanted was a pair of acid wash jeans with a rip in a knee. And I remember a well-meaning teacher once pulled me aside to hand me a bag of clothes that her daughter had outgrown. And of course, this was decades before consignment was cool. It wasn't vintage back then. I don't know if you can relate, but like, especially for 
an immigrant family, you know, buying anything secondhand was a big shame. And I was horrified, and even more so the thought of what my sure-to-be-humiliated mother would say if I brought this bag of clothes home. So I hid the bag in my locker, but when I finally found the courage to kind of dig into it and see what I could find, I found a pair of Guess jeans. And Guess was on that list of brands that a classmate had once told me, like, these are the brands you need to wear to be cool. Like, you need Guess jeans, you need uh, the Club Monaco sweatshirt with the circle in the middle. Do you, do you remember those? Yeah, yeah you need... Um, like a lot of those brands aren't even around today. Like there was Northern Reflections and Okaton and a bunch of others. Esprit was a big one. So Guess was sort of at the top of the list. So I find this pair of Guess jeans in the bag. And it was like, I hit the jackpot. I was triumphant. Like at long last, I, I have, I am the owner of one of the coveted brands listed by a classmate that was sort of the key to being popular. Like I was sure that my problems were all going to be over. <laughs> so I put the jeans on at school and then it turned out that the little, you know, the little trademark triangle with the question mark, it had been sewn onto the wrong back pocket. So it turns out those jeans were a factory reject. And my classmates delighted in pointing this defect out to me, which only led to a further plummeting of my social status <laughs> as a teenager. Um, I, I, you know, I think back to, to the girl that I was and to the things that other people told me should be important. I think about the resilience and determination that I built over many years based on those kinds of experiences. I think about how um, having felt like an outsider in those early years have made me, have been a tremendous gift to me. They have made me a, a great journalist. I am really good at observing, at sitting back, at listening. Um, and these are all qualities that have stood me in good stead. And at the end of the day, no one can take that away from me. If I were to distill all these experiences into sort of, you know, a couple lines or one quote, it would probably be to say, believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. No one else can tell you what's important. No one else can tell you um, what your journey is supposed to, to look like. And this is something I was thinking about the other day that, and it's certainly um, a byproduct of my travels around the world because I've come to realize that there's no one right way of life. There are many, many different choices and all of them can be right in their own way. And let's say your destination is the number nine, for example. Well, one plus eight is nine, but so is three plus six. And so is four plus five. And who's to say that one journey is superior to the other if you all kind of get to the end point finally. And so I, I think about things like that. And, and, you know, I really draw strength out of these uh, experiences and observations. I don't know if that really answers your question though. Yes, it does. That's a good <laughs> answer. I mean, like 45 countries, like, whoa. So Barbara, I mean, I've been to maybe seven and I know that every time <laughs> I travel, my mind is once again, like blown. I went to Hong Kong um, when I had a four month old, cried the whole way there and then got off. Oh my gosh. I thanked the pilot for getting us there alive because I don't like flying. <laughs> And then I realized I didn't have a plan. So you've been to like, have you, where, where, are the, like, you know, my last question for you, Barbara, is where do I need to go? Oh, you need to go to Georgia, not the state, the country. 
um, it is amazing. It's, uh, it's, it's surrounded by the Black Sea. It's kind of between Russia, Turkey, Azerbaijan, and Armenia. Um, the famous composer Pyotr Tchaikovsky, who wrote Much of Sleeping Beauty, referred to Tbilisi, which is, is its capital city, as a, a sweet dream. And I would say it's an accurate description for the entire country. It is such an interesting place and still very much off the radar. The people are tremendously kind. They are tremendously authentic. And they have a saying, they actually see visitors as a gift from God. So Georgia is the original birthplace of wine. It's where winemaking began more than 8,000 years ago. And it's home to 525 uh, indigenous varieties of grapes, at least. And most of them you've never heard of. Um, and it's, it's positioned at the crossroads of competing interests between Europe and Asia that has made it vulnerable to invading empires for centuries. And the vineyards are often the first place invaders would attack. But Georgia has still held very strong to its winemaking culture. The, the people are so fiercely proud. Um, it's such a beautiful country. The food is to die for. The hospitality is amazing. I, I just, I can't recommended enough and especially in a world where I think a lot of people have already done the Paris and the London and the Rome and they're they're kind of hungering for a sort of you know what's what's sort of the next undiscovered place what's the authentic experience and I think you'll definitely find it in Georgia you know I'm gonna go to Georgia oh you gotta do it I have a list of things people tell me to do but my podcast guests that's the advice I'm taking because you guys are like handpicked by me. I'm going to Georgia one day. I mean, if I can bring my kids, it'd be ideal, but I'm going to go to Georgia. Mm. It's, I mean, the people, the people are just so beautiful. Well, Barbara, I mean, it's been amazing chatting with you because I love what you're about. I love how you write. I'm a fan of your show. And I feel like I just discovered it two months ago, but now I'm like, can't wait for you to get back on air. Oh, me too. (laughs) Both of us, right? Like, COVID will pass. That's what they say. COVID will pass and life will be somewhat normal again. Fingers crossed. Yes. Fingers crossed. And, you know, um, I I do believe that the mind attracts what it needs. So I think we'll get there when we're all collectively ready. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a guest on Superstar PR. And I want you to keep shining. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for tuning in to Superstar PR. New episodes are available every other Friday. And you know, we would love your feedback. So please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to subscribe to Superstar PR on your favorite streaming service and visit www.nikkiinc.ca to sign up for podcast alerts and notifications. Thank you so much for listening.